Today's gospel reading comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, reading from verse 1. The heading is Made Alive in Christ. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Good morning. It would be great to keep your Bible open or device open as we work our way through this passage. And I'll put the main verses that we are talking about on the screen. Hopefully that will be helpful as well. But let me pray as we get into this passage. Dear Lord, I pray as we come to your word now uh, that you might help each of us to see your mercy and grace and our purpose and place in serving your son. Amen. Over the last 12 months, I think our sense of identity as a society has been really shaken by our experience of COVID. Uh, and, COVID and identity is important because it shapes our sense of value and significance and purpose. Uh, and as we get older still, it shapes the legacy that we hope to leave. And as a society, we form our sense of identity around all sorts of things, uh, around our friendships. Uh, we all need to be loved and we all want to love others. It's about our possessions and the pleasure we get from our possessions and the significance we get from our possessions. If we feel, we feel if we have more, then that says something about our value and contribution to society. And with that, hopefully, we feel, comes respect. Uh, for some, identity is tied up in our experiences. And for others, it's all about our children and our family. And so our image is that we will wake up each morning with a renewed delight in our significant other and our children will just be uh, lovely and smiling and, of course, complying. In the words of the Apostle Paul, we've fallen into this temptation of potentially worshipping the created things rather than the creator. So we've taken the good things that God has given us, but we've made them God-sized. Uh, and in doing so, we've placed on them a pressure that they were never meant to bear. And so inevitably... Uh, we feel frustrated and disillusioned when they don't deliver the satisfaction that we feel they promised. 
and now we're experiencing COVID. And so all of that identity that we formed around those created things is under even more pressure. Uh, and we're starting to see the cracks. Relationally, we feel more disconnected and isolated. But at the same time, we're sort of struggling to know how to reconnect or to get the motivation to reconnect. We've kind of been used to our own personal space and it's hard to get out there again. Uh, we're anxious about our jobs and the impact that has on our sense of value or our freedom to do the things that we want to do. We feel that our hopes and dreams have either been put on hold or the moment has been lost altogether. And the family unit, which is so often sort of held up as the ultimate foundation of identity, is no longer the immovable object that perhaps we once perceived that it was. And so this year we've tragically seen an increase in domestic violence and more broadly an increase in separation and divorce. Of course, not everyone's struggling. And certainly if you look on Instagram or you know, other sort of social media, you see plenty of people who sort of present an image where everything is absolutely wonderful. And for many of us, that just exacerbates our feeling of inadequacy because that picture doesn't represent how we feel. Uh, there are so many things in life that will make up our identity, but there's only one thing can, that can be the foundation. And if you are a Christian, then that one thing is Christ. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at this theme of God's kingdom. The Bible tells us that God's kingdom is present, but it is not perfected. Uh, and so we look forward to a time when God will bring everything under his will. And he's either going to do that when Jesus comes again or he calls us home in death. So God has a plan for our future, but God also has a plan for our present. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at, well, how does God want us to live in his kingdom now, in all the messiness of life? And I think it's particularly relevant for us now as we sort of start a new year. We're trying to sort of put behind 2020. We're hoping that New Year's Eve would just sort of magically improve everything. Uh, it doesn't quite work like that. But our hope is that we can put behind 2020 and we're, we're looking forward to a new year and we're starting to form all sorts of plans and aspirations and dreams for what this year might look like. And so as we do that, I want to make sure that we keep our perspective on Christ, uh, that we continue to live for the King. And so this week, uh, we're going to focus on the person. What does it mean for each of us individually as we stand before God? And then next week, we're going to look at it collectively. What does it mean for us as a group of Christians and as the body of Christ, as God's church? Uh, as a church, we express ourselves with, with four purpose statements. You, you see them all over the place. Loving Jesus, growing together, speaking the good news and supporting others. And so today fits into that loving Jesus kind of space. In the passage that we read this morning, uh, Paul is writing to Christians around the city of Ephesus and he's saying, remember who you are. In the ancient world, Ephesus was an uh, incredibly significant uh, cosmopolitan city. But most significantly, from a religious perspective, it was known for the Temple of Artemis, which was at the time one of the great 
ancient wonders of the world. It was described by one writer as more splendid than the pyramids. But for Christians, Ephesus was not an easy place. Uh, When Paul first went there, he was rejected by the local Jewish synagogues and he was hated so much by the general population of the city that he almost caused a riot. And so in the eyes of most people, the Christians were kind of this fringe cult. Uh, They didn't fit into the Jewish community and they didn't fit anywhere else. And so I think as as modern Christians, as we sort of start to live in a post-Christian culture, there's a lot of parallels in his experience and their experience and what we're beginning to experience today. So let's have a look at this passage together, uh, starting at verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived amongst them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our own sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Now remember, it's talking to Christians. And Paul is saying, this is who you were, but this is not who you are now. You were dead, Our transgressions and sins killed us. Now, God tells us how we should live, uh, that we should live in relationship with him, we should live obeying him, we should live loving each other. Uh, But we really don't like giving over our control in life, particularly when our desires don't necessarily align conveniently with God's desires for us. And so the temptation is to back ourselves and to go it alone. You know, the irony is we think our rebellion is an act of freedom. Now, it's my choice to do what I want. But the reality is that we aren't free at, it at all. Our very nature conspires against us. We couldn't stop sinning even if we wanted to because our natural inclination is towards sin. In the words of Paul from the passage, we follow the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Uh, It's a rather unusual expression. It's the only time Paul uses it. Uh, But it's used to describe Satan's influence on our world. Uh, God is in control. But as we live in this continually broken age, he allows Satan to exert influence. And Satan's role is really to fuel and fan those natural sinful desires. Uh, So we live in a world that wants us to have a good self-esteem. You can do it. You don't need anyone else. You don't need God. Believe in yourself, follow your dreams, and you can be everything that you want to be. Uh, In the same breath, our culture and our world feeds our insecurities. It shows us a a picture of life that is all the perfect bits with none of the boring bits. And constantly promises that we can have it with just a little bit more. Uh, But it also demands that we conform to a certain set of values and behaviours if we want to be accepted. And we buy it. Because as much as we hate to admit it, we all want to fit in. Uh, We feel the pressure to conform to the worldliness around us. 
So not only do we have a natural desire to sin, but everyone is encouraging us to sin and they'll even celebrate with us when we do sin. So we're kind of like gambling addicts in, in Las Vegas. You know, there's all this pressure from within, there's all of this external pressure around us and then there's Satan just stirring the pot. So in the language of the sermon from last week, we, you know, we're struggling with the world, the flesh and the devil. You know, for most of us this morning, we just don't feel the enormity of the problem that we face. And that creates a real risk of complacency. You know, we've been around Christian things for a long time. We've talked about sin. Uh, and we kind of go, yes, we all sin. We're not perfect. But we just don't feel there's any real imminent danger from our sin. In fact, I suspect we're more confronted by the idea that we are objects of wrath than we are by our own sin. And I think part of the problem is we don't really understand sin and we don't understand God's justice. So we attempted to reduce sin to a list of morals. So we think sin is about lying and cheating or, or being selfish or getting drunk. And, and we judge the seriousness of our sin on the consequences. Uh, but at the very core of sin, of course, is our attitude to God. That God created us, but we've rejected our creator. And everything else is really just a symptom of that heart problem. I think, secondly, we misunderstand the scales of justice. You know, we think justice works, you get all the good things and you put them on one side, and then you get all the bad things and you put them on the other side. And if the good outweigh the bad, then, you know, giddy up, you get off. Uh, but that's not how the scales of justice work. The scales of justice are there to weigh the evidence, not the good and the bad. And the evidence is that we are all guilty. And therefore, we are all deserving of judgment. But even more than weighing our good and bad... Uh, we don't feel our sin really deserves any great punishment. Now, if God is big and God is love, then God should be big enough to overlook our minor misdemeanours. Uh, we're so quick to be outraged by everyone else's behaviour, but very slow to recognise our own. And often we justify it, don't we? That there's a good reason why what we did either wasn't bad at all or wasn't really that bad. And we're very good at doing that. But the Bible is very clear. From beginning to end, like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But if you're a Christian, then that is all in our past. And so we need to feel the consequences of our sin in the past but we also need to recognise that we're in now a very different place because God is merciful. And in Christ, we are now safe. So verses 4 and 5, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved. In 1950, uh, there was a surf captain at Cronulla. His name was Jim Perryman. Uh, you might have heard this story. You might have even heard me share this story. Uh, but uh, he was down at the, the clubhouse one day 
uh, and the, the beach was closed. It was just one of those filthy days, you know, storm days, huge uh, waves. And so the surf lifesavers are sitting up in the clubhouse just sort of hanging out. And they look outside and a young girl has gone for a swim. Uh, so even though the, the beach is closed and the, and the flags are crossed, she's gone out for a swim and she's got herself into trouble and she's got dragged out in this rip. Uh, and there's nothing she can do to help herself. So she's just out there uh, and you can see she's in real, in real trouble. And so this is the 50s. So the way, the way it worked is someone put on a harness and there's the rope. You know, you see that classic lifesaver thing and, he, he, and Jim Perryman swims out, grabs hold of this girl and then his job is just to hold on and the rest of the crew haul him back in. Uh, what they don't realise is between him and the shore is this bank of seaweed. And so this seaweed's weighing on the line, and so instead of coming sort of across the, the surface of the water, they're, they're being dragged underneath. And the, the waves are so large and it's just so, so violent that they don't see what's happening until they, they almost drag them onto the shore. Uh, and at that stage, both of them were unconscious. And in the end, only one person lived that day, and it wasn't Jim Perryman. Uh, it was the young girl. Uh, again, you might have heard that story, but it's, it's kind of a good illustration of uh, God's grace and mercy to us. Uh, that we're kind of like the young girl, you know, we go out there, we think we know best, and we certainly don't deserve to be saved. We've ignored all the warnings, we've done our own thing, and yet God chooses to show mercy to us. Uh, but it comes at a terrible price. Uh, for God, it comes at the price of his son, Jesus, dying on the cross for our sin. And so our salvation has absolutely nothing to do with our goodness. And it has everything to do with God's mercy and grace. And that's what grace is, completely undeserved, uh, given simply because God chooses to love us. And so we are, by nature, on our own, objects of wrath. Uh, but in Christ, we are safe. And that then leads to a response, doesn't it? That changes everything in terms of not just our salvation and our future, but how we live now. So verse 10, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So if we're going to say Jesus is our saviour and we love the idea of saviour, then we also need to recognise Jesus as our king. Uh, he is the one who we follow. He is the one we are called to obey. Uh, Jesus is not like a buffet lunch because uh, the temptation with the buffet lunch, of course, is you pick and choose the bits you like and you leave the inconvenient bits uh, and the oysters. Uh, that's not us. Uh, as Christians, we, we, we follow Jesus in everything he calls us to do. It's not just part of a well-balanced life along with sort of healthy eating and exercise. Uh, and God is not like a helicopter parent, you know, sort of chasing us around, you know, ready to grab us at the, at the first moment that we look like we are going to fall. God is not there to serve us. God has created us to serve him. And so I think in life, we often try to work out our priorities. We start by going, well, what do I need? And then we sort of start to work out, you know, well, what are the things I want? And then after that, we go, okay, well, what's left? And whatever's left, we go, okay, how can I give that to God? Now, that's the temptation in life, isn't it? 
But if we are followers of Christ, and particularly thinking of that passage we read in Luke, if we are followers of Christ, we need to turn that perspective around. We need to start with, what does God have planned for me? How can I use the gifts that God has given me to do the good works that he has prepared in advance for me to do? And then what are the things that I need that allow me to do those good works? Now, some of those good works are going to be reactive, aren't they? We see a person in need and we help them. Someone sins against us and we forgive them. Someone new comes to church and we welcome them. Uh, But some of those opportunities and works are going to be proactive. You know, we go out of our way to find the person in need. Uh, We talk to our neighbour about Jesus. We pray for our church community. We pray for our Shell Harbour community. We look for opportunities uh, to serve one another at church on Sunday. And when we get that identity foundation right then that gives meaning and purpose to all those other good things that we love about life. So if I put Christ first in my marriage, then my marriage will be infinitely better than if I try to put my marriage first. Because in Christ, he shows me how to live out that marriage, how to love my wife in a way that she really needs to be loved, in a way that she was created to be loved. So where do you find your identity? I think one way to answer that question might be where do you spend your money and where do you spend your time? Or perhaps what do you talk about? What do you get excited about in conversations? You know, for me it's easy to get excited about. I can talk about motorbikes uh, for a bit. You know, I ride a motorbike, that's kind of fun. I can talk about surfing. Uh, I'm terrible at it, but I can talk about it a bit. Uh, Yeah, there's all all sorts of, of good things. Uh, And we often talk about those things with a level of of enthusiasm. But I I hope what really gets us excited, if we are Christians, is when we talk about being a Christian, when we talk about God's grace in our life, when we talk about the hope that we have, uh, the confidence that we have, uh, when we talk to someone else and we want them to have that same hope and that same confidence and for them to know the salvation that we have. But I think for all of us, there are going to be things that are holding us back. Now, what are things that are holding you back as you shape your identity? Yeah, it might be the pleasures of life or the need for financial security. It might be a particular doubt uh, that you're struggling with. It might be a sin that you kind of hate but you kind of love and so you're struggling to let go. You know, whatever the obstacle, you know, as we start a new year, fresh start, Uh, What are those things holding you back? And how do we begin a new year dealing with them? And I think it starts with recognising that God is always there. Uh, He is always willing to forgive us when we genuinely repent. He's always willing to guide our steps and he provides us with his word. And he's there ready to help us through his spirit. And so as we start a new year, as we think about our identity, let us set our eyes firmly on Christ. And let me pray that God's Spirit will help us do that. Let me pray. Our dear Lord, as we reflect on your word now, I pray that we might feel the weight of our sin so that we might genuinely understand uh, your love and your grace to us. Uh, Lord, as we start a new year, 
I pray that our identity might come from the salvation we have through your Son and that we might live serving him as Saviour and Lord and King. And so, Lord, help us to overthrow those things that are holding us back and help us to fix our eyes on your Son this year as we seek to honour you. Amen.